Welcome to Diverse, the podcast of the Society of Women Engineers. SWE supports the advancement of women in engineering and technology. You can find all of our podcasts on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, and SWE's blog, All Together, at altogether.swe.org. Looking for more information and data on women in engineering? Head over to research.swe.org and review the groundbreaking research that SWE has been conducting. SWE's research efforts include reporting on women of color in engineering and how community colleges may play a role in getting more women to graduate with engineering degrees. You can also check out the annual SWE Literature Review in SWE Magazine's State of Women in Engineering issue. Hi, I'm Cindy Hoover, President of the Society of Women Engineers. Welcome to SWE's Diverse Podcast Series. Please remember to add this podcast to your iTunes and like or follow us on social media. Visit SWE.org for more details. I'm joined today by Dr. Sarah Watsman of the University of Cincinnati. Sarah has taught undergraduate heat transfer and is currently teaching graduate level advanced thermodynamics in her department. And she is a DOE Early Career Award recipient. She completed her PhD in mechanical engineering in May of 2018 and during grad school was a National Science Foundation graduate research fellow and worked as a visiting researcher at the Max Planck Institute for Chemical Physics of Solids in Dresden, Germany. Today, she's here to talk to us about what changes we can start expecting in the engineering industry, including a shift in demographics, the role of artificial intelligence, and changing classroom dynamics. Thank you for joining us today, Sarah. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. So let's go back and talk about what initially sparked or inspired your interest in STEM. Sure. So in high school, like most engineers typically say, I really liked math and science, especially calculus, chemistry, and physics. I also was really interested in alternative energy and finding new renewable energy resources, So whenever I was thinking about a major for undergrad, I wanted to find a field where I could use my skill set and academic interests to combine those with other interests I had and do something good. That's fantastic. So um, you received your bachelor's, master's, and PhD in mechanical engineering, where it looks like you've also joined SWE as a collegiate member in your freshman year. So can you tell us a little bit about your progression through school? Why did you go into mechanical engineering and and what motivated you to stick with it? So I actually started in environmental engineering because I wanted to do something to do with renewable energy and quickly learned that that didn't fit exactly what my interests were. And after my first quarter, I switched to mechanical engineering to find a major that was more of a design focus. So I kind of fell into it. And I didn't really find anything within mechanical engineering that I absolutely loved until about halfway through my degree when I took thermodynamics and started taking heat transfer. And I absolutely loved both of those subjects and was incredibly thankful that those also were the subjects that tended to relate more to energy conversion and um, energy generation processes. I also took a lot of electives that helped me stay motivated. I did a couple of service learning engineering projects that accumulated in trips going to Honduras and South Africa, where we got to implement those projects that we had spent a semester developing. So finding electives in subjects that I loved actually helped me stay motivated. And SWE was also a large instigator of me sticking with engineering. It was such a great support network 
of other women in the same program as you um, who could be your friends and your mentors and help you guide you through your classes. And also seeing other women like me that may be a year or two ahead, seeing them excel and succeed was really motivating. That's really interesting to hear you say that. I joined in college as well, and it was exactly the same thing. I, I found folks that were kind of like me, and I was able to stay motivated, stay really um, engaged um, by, by joining SWE in my freshman year. So now you recently served on the board of directors as collegiate director in fiscal year 17 and on the society senate in fiscal year 18. So what prompted you to get involved in the SWE governance and do you have any future SWE leadership goals? Well, as I just mentioned, SWE was such a positive thing for me in undergrad. So as I started in graduate school, I wanted to stay involved, but I wanted a role where I might be able to give back more and grow more as a leader. So I tried to look at SWE from a more leadership beyond my society direction. Um, and I was really excited to be elected as collegiate director for FY17. And in that role, I really, really loved that strategic mindset of the board of directors. And I really loved that, I'm going to call it like a SWE visionary experience. So like the full picture planning and looking at the direction of where the society is going. So I really enjoyed that as collegiate director. And this was also as we were going through the governance changes to um, eliminate regions. And I wanted to see more of that through. So I ran for the collegiate senator position in my region and, again, got to look at um, SWE from that more strategic mindset and found that really interesting and really fun to see SWE from a different angle than I did as an undergrad. And now at University of Cincinnati, I'm really excited to be transitioning into being the SWE faculty advisor, where I can work with all of the undergrads who have that enthusiasm and are finding SWE to be all of the things that I loved about it as an undergrad and help them grow themselves. That's wonderful. We need wonderful, wonderful faculty advisors, and I'm sure you're excellent in the role. So let's talk a little bit about what made you choose to go into academia and what has that experience been like so far at the University of Cincinnati? So I've just finished up my first year as a faculty member, um, and I'm very excited to still be here and to have made it this far. <laughs> um, but academia is such a unique place, especially at an R1 institution. It's a combination of teaching, doing your own research, and mentoring um, your graduate students in research and your undergraduates in class. And they're all combined into one job. So sometimes I feel like I'm not really sure which segment I'm supposed to be focusing on the most at certain times, um, but they're all really interesting. What made me want to go into academia was the fact that I could choose my own research direction and then I could work on what I really wanted as long as I can obtain the funding for it. Research was really interesting and exciting for me as a graduate student. Um, and it's always changing and there's always more questions that come up from finding an answer to a previous question. So now as a faculty member, um, as a PI in my own lab, I'm really excited that I can keep asking those questions, but I can also be the one to pursue answering them and choose which ones I would like to answer. But it also has been a kind of weird transition from graduate school to faculty. I went straight from a PhD to a faculty position. So I am on the younger side, um, and that's been a very yeah, that's been a very weird transition going from kind of being told what direction to go in to being the one deciding that direction. So it's exciting, but a little weird. 
Um, it's also been really exciting getting to see my dream lab come true. I got to choose my equipment and order it. And it's really exciting to see all of the equipment coming in and to get to set it up. And I kind of called it my nerdy Christmas, the day everything was delivered to my lab in crates. <laughs> perfect. Perfect. <laughs> yeah. So it's exciting and weird all in one. And um, the first time I actually taught a class as the instructor of record was spring semester earlier this year. And I really enjoyed teaching my undergraduate class. Um, I was trying to apply some active learning techniques to make the classroom more interactive. And my students were really engaged and receptive. And I'm really excited to get to teach again. That's really exciting. And I, I just, I can tell by your enthusiasm, you're going to be one of those teachers everybody wants. And that's, that's really awesome. So I um, sure hope so. <laughs> I think I'm, I'm sure it's going to be the case. So, so let's kind of talk a little bit about um, the future of engineering and some insights that you might be able to share with us. So let's dive into that and talk a little bit about, um, you know, what, what can you tell our audience about what they can look for and expect in their workplace, in the classrooms, or the en engineering industry in general in the future? Sure. So I'm going to start by on the classroom for the students out there. With workplace demographics changing and focuses in industry also shifting, students have to be prepared for that earlier, and they also need to be adaptable as they enter their universities and industry. So for example, as you just mentioned, automation and machine learning and artificial intelligence are all really hot topics right now in industry and in research. And those results get applied directly into the classrooms and the workforce. So there's a large focus on how we can more effectively use people's time and skills by automating a process that sometimes might typically involve an operator. So computing is a massive part of the undergraduate curriculum now, whether it be programming or learning um, different software that can help in this um, industrial future. So every year, more freshmen are entering their classes with programming knowledge, whereas 10 years ago when I started undergrad, it was normal that I had never taken a programming class before. Oh, I barely knew what a, I barely knew what a computer was when I went through school, so there you go. <laughs> Fair Thanks enough, and, and here you are now. <laughs> here I am now. <laughs> so students are expected to integrate some of the software they learn and the programs they learn from one class to another. So rather than like you learn CAD in one class and you're done, you're expected to then be able to grow from that in following coursework. Um, and there's supposed to be, students should look at being malleable in this way to be able to extrapolate a skill, especially a computational skill that they learn in one class and apply it to another. So instructors are also trying to integrate software and tools that are used in industry directly into their classroom so that students can solve learning how to solve problems, not just by hand, but on a computer as well. So for example, in my heat transfer class, um, we had two projects where students used STAR CCM+, which is the Siemens company's version of a computational heat transfer program. And they had to model heat transfer through a channel in this program and also solve it by hand. And then part of the project was analyzing the differences in their solutions and the advantages and limitations of both. So this is something that students should be looking for more um, as they go through an undergraduate curriculum. Interesting. So what about um, a little bit about the soft skills and expectations for engineers going through 
um, the class today versus let's say you know 30 years ago when I went through the curriculums changed a lot I know soft skills are becoming more important you know how did we communicate and work with each other in teams and that type of thing can you tell us anything about that Definitely. I think instructors are definitely acknowledging that students do everything in groups, um, whether it be homework assignments or projects, and that students are expected to be able to communicate um, easily across different systems, whether it be text message or phone or email or um, via some of these new apps like WhatsApp or GroupMe. I know um, the cohort that I taught had a GroupMe for the entire cohort that they passed notes around in. Um, so students are expected to be able to use technology in a positive way for communication. And another big shift in STEM fields is a changing mindset of what diversity and inclusion actually means and how to make sure that we have both in our education systems and also in our industry systems. So the generation that's educating students um, and the generation that's leading some companies that they might work for is still largely holding that legacy of being male-dominated. And although many people accept that a diverse workforce in the sense of thinking that a woman or someone of an ethnic minority is equally capable, intelligent, or competent, that's no longer enough. And I know Sui talks about diversity and inclusion a lot. It's very important um, to be fully inclusive. Some of these norms that used to be accepted by the more male-dominated working society need to change. And we need to be adaptable to be successful in including people of all walks of life. And I think that um, the negative results due to an unconscious bias or microaggressions, um, where they're obviously seen as detrimental, they're not actually addressed as something that could be a serious problem or always worth fixing. And I think that's a shift and a soft skill that the new generation of engineers need to have is that accepting diversity, but also accepting the um, differences it's going to bring in attitudes and that any problems that arise from that are serious issues that are worth educating people against doing and stop. Totally agree. And uh, inclusion is so important. And it's, you know, to me, you can't really get to a diverse group if you don't have in inclusivity at, at the start of it, right? You have to be open to having those diverse groups. And and, and speaking of that in education, um, I would think that you would need that the more diversity and inclusion you have, the better you innovate. So, you know, innovation is such a big part of being an engineer. You want to innovate new things. I would think you would need that diverse atmosphere to, to be able to innovate and, and look forward to seeing something that hasn't been created yet. Definitely, because so much of where we're moving with this big technological boom is that we can innovate things that haven't people haven't even thought of yet or trying to make something that no one's ever made before or answer a question people thought wasn't possible to answer. And having that diverse background and diversity and thought is how we're going to get there. Absolutely. Fantastic. So let me ask you, if you can give one piece of advice to our current or future engineers who are trying to navigate their career or their journey, what would it be? I would say to ask lots of questions. Engineering is a super broad field, and there's a large chance that you can find a job out there that also fits your passions. And if you do that, you're also going to be more dedicated and more successful. So I would say try to find and figure out what interests you and gets you excited to do more um, and start asking how you can apply that to your career. 
That is great advice. I'm sure we can all learn something from that and everything else that you've you've talked to us about today. Sarah, thank you again for taking the time to speak with us and for providing some really interesting, valuable insights to our audience. Thank you very much for having me. I appreciate being here. I'm Cindy Hoover. For all of us at SWE, thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. Please don't forget to leave us a review on iTunes or like your favorite episodes on SoundCloud. If you have not already made plans to be part of the largest gathering of women engineers in the world, visit our WE19 conference site at we19.swe.org. Information on housing, registration, keynote speakers, and more is now available. See you there.